Hello and welcome to this week's The Two Pinter. Uh, unfortunately, this week we had some issues with one of the mics, so the sound quality isn't as good as it could have been, but hopefully you'll still enjoy it. Okay, thanks very much. Hello and welcome to this week's The Two Pinter with myself, Gaz. Me, Jonah. This week we have our third um, regular, third member of the podcast, and it's Chris. Hello, how's it going? Good, thanks, Chris. Chris from, uh, from London. Uh, and just to give a bit of context, uh, I'm a Welshman who supports Liverpool. John is an Englishman who supports anyone but Liverpool. And Chris is a Welshman who supports Everton. So I think Chris probably sits on the fence quite nicely for us this week. I'd also include in that, I also support anyone except Liverpool as well. <laughs> I think that was a given, sure. It does a given by you being an Everton fan, I think. But, um, but yeah, so we thought this week uh, we'll talk a little bit about City, uh, we'll talk a little bit about rugby, a bit of boxing, um, but also focus on uh, the Cricket World Cup that's coming uh, a week Thursday. Uh, so we'll cover that and we might just touch on Everton towards the end of the, uh, the podcast for all the Everton fans out there, get Chris's views on that. Uh, so without further ado, we'll, we'll start with City after a, a very professional, very uh, good performance on Saturday against Watford, uh, 6-0 hammering in the FA Cup final. And company quite soon afterwards said that he was retiring. Well, no, sorry, he was leaving City and he was going to be a assistant manager for Anderlecht. Uh, no, player manager for Anderlecht, sorry. Um, thought we'd, rather than talk about how great City were, uh, what about talking about company and asking, is he one of or the best uh, Premier League centre-back? So, Jono, what do you think? Definitely in the conversation. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think who you put above him for all Premiership all time. Uh, John Terry would be an argument, wouldn't he? Uh, Tony Adams is, yeah. Vidic and Ferdinand. Uh, after that, anyone? Probably not. Uh, probably not. Marcel, Marcel Desailly, maybe? I don't think he played long enough to do it. Yeah, I'm not sure Phil Babbitt make it either. Um, Colin Hendry's an obvious shout for us Monty Rovers fans, but no, I think maybe Terry above him, and then yeah, maybe maybe no one else after that. It's a lot of Carragher there as well. I'm sure you'd agree with that, Chris. I I would actually probably put Carragher above company in terms of like. Premier League record and well, in history, really, I think, and performance because I don't think companies really played enough to be considered a an all-time Premier great as a centre-back. Um, I think he's a great player, but I think there are plenty above him. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised we've been there 11 years. Yeah, I think it's I, like... I a, else. Sorry, I think it's like 360 appearances or something like that. Um, mm. It's not really that many over 11 years. No, I suppose not. Um, hey, he can love an injury, but I, still, what he was there, he... he was, was a difference maker, wasn't he? Uh, and he perhaps scored the most crucial goal this season, you could argue. But he, he's, he's been consistent class and they're a lot better side than him. But I mean, it's, it's a valid point if you look at his stats in the Premier League last few seasons, 17 games played this year, 17 playing games last year, 11 the year before, 14 the year before that. You've got about 2014 15 to get him above 20 at 25. So, yeah, fair point, Kev. Yeah, he doesn't, he's not for playing, it's not his major strength. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say, one of the aspects of, of being, a, I suppose, a great player in the Premier League era is winning the Premier League, um, and he's done that in 
Yeah, I think I think you either look at him like from two perspectives. You think about him as a player, or you think about him as a captain. Um, and I actually think he ranks higher in terms of like when you think of captains in the Premier League area, rather than he does as actually a player. Yeah, that's a fair point. I was struggling to think of too many captains who would be who you would have ahead of him. I mean, the ones I came up with were obvious ones like Keane, Vieira, Adams, Gerrard, but Terry perhaps, but. I don't know. I'm struggling beyond that. Yeah, no, I suppose his uh, his stock his stock went a lot higher when he uh, pulled in a captain's performance against Leicester a couple of games before the end of the season and scored a world. I mean, I don't know how many half have scored goals like that this, uh, in their Premier League careers. The only other one I can remember is Phil Jagielka at Anfield a few years ago. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. That's for a, for a late equaliser, wasn't it? Arguably a better strike as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's difficult to argue with that one. Uh, well, yeah, I think as a as an all-round player, I think you're probably right. I think there are probably better players than him. But if you add in the captaincy as well, um, does that take him above your Carragher's and um, your Terry's? I think it's off the pitch they'll miss him more, actually. I think mm. I'm quite surprised they didn't try and persuade him to stay maybe a season or two more. And, you know, he's not going to play every week. But if you're getting 15, 20 games a season and all competitions out of him, that off-field influence is, is huge. So yeah. I think that's what they'll miss more than anything. I'd go, I'm struggling to put these in order, um, I'd probably go Tony Adams, Ferdinand, Vidic, Terry, Company and Carragher are about the same. I think it, I'm tempted to put Yap Starm in there as well, but he wasn't around long enough, I think, to no. quite make it. I think, how long was Vidic around for? 
Maybe we're just showing our. I was like, maybe I was just going to say, maybe we're just showing our youth, and we can't really remember Yapstam that much. <laughs> That's why he's not included. <laughs> to argue with Jono for a change I, I, I agree with him I think um, England I've watched some of the warm-up games against Pakistan and just look really confident and you know even I think they are prone to a collapse here or there but even when they have had a mini collapse they've been able to drag themselves out of it and chasing quite decent scores um, I think you have to wonder what the wickets will be like during the World Cup because they look like the ones England have played on look really kind of flat at the moment um, and I think that brings India into it a bit more I think if you get livelier pitches I think India struggle in our conditions um, yeah. but yeah the Aussies like can't write, write them off the Windies as well like even when they look absolutely terrible going into a tournament they seem to be able to put it together in uh, limited overs um, I actually don't think Pakistan are a million miles away as well they've got, they've got some talent in that team but Maybe just not the quite the elite level, but I think England, the balance of the England team is really shaping up nicely and um, they're looking really strong going into a tournament. I can't remember an England team looking this strong going into a tournament. So, so if we're looking at a bit of uh, personal, then who would, who would you pick for your uh, your piece attack for uh, for the England? I know where you're going oh. with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've 
I'm, listeners, I'm dangling a big carrot out for uh, for a man, Chris, who's going to tell me that Chris Wokes is the best bat, the, the best uh, bowler that we've ever seen. Right, so I'm going to set the record straight on Chris Wokes because, like, if you, <laughs> he is a very capable bowler, and his averages, you know, particularly in English conditions, are are great. You know, when you start to look at his record overseas, then you start to see what bowler he really is. But um, I think Wokes, the thing with Wokes, my problem with Wokes is you look, if you looked in a textbook of how to bowl medium fast, solid line and length, there'd probably be a picture of Chris Wokes. But I just think when it really comes down to it and like England are really under pressure and, you know, the conditions aren't in his favour, I just think he lacks that bit of X factor that someone like a Mark Wood or a Ben Stokes or or Archer who's coming into the team really possess. I think he's he's lacking a bit in, in pace and I just think when he doesn't get those early wickets he he looks quite vulnerable and I think he can quite quickly turn into a liability. So I'd probably have him in there, but not maybe he wouldn't be a guaranteed starter for me. But I think Wood if he can stay fit, I I think probably Plunkett will get selected. Um and I think you've got to have Stokes in there. Um, I, I just don't see how he can leave out Archer. I think, you know, that pace and, you know, that kind of X-factor bowling is is what England need. And that's what's going to win your World Cup. You know, it is as much as I love seeing Wokes, you know, trot up and bowl about 81 miles an hour. Um, I'm not sure it's going to win your World Cup. <laughs> what, about, uh, what about you, John? Would you, would you throw in Tom Curran in that? Or would you... Have you got? Would you any other strong views on on Wilkes? No, I mean I I, I didn't used to love Wilkes either. I've probably softened him more than KB has over the years. I think he, he does generally perform very well. And I know KB says he, he's better in England than we are in England, fortunately. So I think it helps. David Willey's probably other name who, um, yeah, I would think it's probably one of Willie or Plunky loses his place to Archer to go. So, but, I mean, Willie does give you the left arm option, which is always a nice option to have, um, and does. Can contribute with some runs down the order as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, me and Kay were to plug that pod again. Uh, we did have a long sort of talk about Archer, and he, he does look like a potential match winner. He can bowl serious pace and a, um, yeah, and can take wickets with it too. So he, he's going to be a hard one to leave out. So I think Bogues makes it. Mark Wood, um, you've just got to hope his body holds up. Really, he's another one who can bowl at serious pace, but. You know, this tournament goes from May till July. Um, it's a long old slog, and, and Mark Wood's body's not been shown to, to hold it together very well before. So I think they'll mix and match a bit. I, I wouldn't wouldn't shock me if they didn't play Archer first game and brought him in a couple of games in, um, just to try and stop some of this sort of nonsense controversy. I don't know if you saw the uh, the Jonathan Liu, Jonathan Agnew debate, the two, two big cricket journalists last week about uh, Archer. It's, it's funny that a player who He's actually got a British passport and he's, he's reasonably British for, for our cricket standards. It's, uh, it's, it's created such a, a storm, really. Um, Don't get them started on the rugby team, then. Exactly. Um, yeah. We'll just set out who selects all the uh, <laughs> Polynesian islands. We'll, we'll, we'll take anyone else to come, but, you know, Arch has uh, actually got British, uh, British parents. He just grew up in Bolognese for a while. Um, so, yeah, he looks, he looks a handy pace attack. Um, yeah, okay, he's always valid. Sorry, just got back to Archie. He's only recently qualified to be English, though, wasn't he? Or recently qualified to play for England. Yeah, and you wonder if that's what it sort of, you know, you say, if, if Ainsbury don't fix it, I suppose, in terms of our team. But yeah, it's to make it a little bit better with somebody can bowl 90 plus miles an hour. Well, why, why not? Why not look at the option, really? Mm. 
fair enough. Um, just as a side, uh, if, if Willie does go, are we hoping there's a, a batsman called Holding playing for somebody else? <laughs> <laughs> Shocking, but good. Oh, oh the classic. Oh, the classic. <laughs> um, so, so we're very confident then on an, uh, on an England... England start their, their campaign against South Africa, don't they? Um, a week Thursday. Are we very confident? Are we reasonably confident? How confident are we on an England World Cup win? Uh, you go, John. Go on, Gabby. I'm going. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty confident. As confident as I'll probably ever be for an England World Cup. I think this side has got a, a great blend of. I mean, yeah, we chatted about maybe we haven't got that many speed batsmen in, but it's just you know it's one day cricket, so you want a lot of big hitters and. Um, yeah, they're all over the place, and it's it's hard not. To, I mean, you, no, no, no total looks safe. You know, with England attacking it, really, you just seem to someone will get going. But you know, the Pakistanis have put some. As KB said, they're not a bad side. They've put some good totals on the board this week, and we just knocked them off with. Kind of them with, with just sort of routine ease, really. Um, I say the Indian side looks very strong. If you look through their players and how they got on in the IPL, there's a, there's a lot. They've got a lot of runs in the side there from you know. Uh, led by Coley, but you've got the, the likes of Darwin, Rahul, who's had a great RPL, Sharma, um, yeah, and Dhoni coming down the order, the old experienced head. They've definitely got some runs in there. Um, so I think, I think the Indians are a formidable opposition. Uh, the Aussies have got a great opening pair. I think um, Finch and Warner, if they get going, could could put a sort of total that would match any side. But after that, I start to think they look a bit, a bit more threadbare, a bit loud, you know, so they're in the middle order. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm feeling really confident about it. I think just it's all going in the right direction um, and confidence is up and yeah, just like smashing big totals now and have been for quite a while. So yeah, why not? Like I'd, there are some really great teams and I'll need a bit of luck, but I'm, re- I'm really confident they'll go all the way. Sort of 
much intent in his punches, which is, is not something you could accuse a Wilder of. Wilder hit him with one right hand and he, he went back a bit. Uh, Wilder steamed in and went for his usual, uh, you know, winged arm finish, just, you know, just bombing punches from everywhere. And what Brazil actually caught him with a decent right hand back that, that Wilder, Wilder, you know, went back for him. His legs are wobbly for a moment. And I think that shows that Wilder can be a little wild when he rushes in to finish. But um, they went in for a couple of clenches and then... <laughs> They came back in a wilder, sets him up with a left hand and then just a right right cross really did just yeah, just funded Brazil and he absolutely sprayed out on his back. It was um it was a hell of a punch and yeah, that's why Wilder's got a chance against anyone at any time because yeah, that power is is frightening. So Chris, I don't know any thoughts on, on the Wilder fight from what the John has said or have you got any um aspirations for the uh, the AJ Wilder fight now? Does that whet the appetite? Yeah, definitely. I I think looking at the Wilder fight, he not a surprising result because I think it was just a case of like when he was going to knock him out. Um, I was quite surprised it was so happened so quickly. Um, but if you look at Brazil as a fighter, like he's he's not the most mobile. He's quite a stationary target, and when that's never going to end well against Wilder. Um, you've seen the blueprint for how to beat Wilder, and Fury did it, and it was basically fidgeting around the ring for 12 rounds and like unsettling him um but nonetheless you know devastating knockout um i think though again though that that point jono made around brazil catching him with one punch i think you know if he, if he fights someone like aj he's going to know those big punches are coming and you just back aj to catch him with a counter and you know if, if wilder's legs wobble then i'm pretty sure aj will finish the job against him it depends on um, whether AJ can survive a, a while the punch, isn't it? I think it probably probably the real winner from the, uh, the weekend was uh, was Fury. Just uh, shows well how impressive it was for him to, to get up in the in the last round from one of them punches. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I I don't think anybody knows how he got up from that. I don't even think he knows how he got up from it. Um, but. You know, it, Fury's stock keeps on rising and rising whenever you, you know, you see Wilder go in and knock someone out. You're going to see Joshua knock out this nightclub bouncer in a few weeks in Madison Square Garden. And, um, you know, He's made a career of it, so, you know, while it stops now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I just, these fights have got to happen. Like, they can't not happen now. And, you know, they're running out of excuses and the fans are getting a bit restless and... Um, you've noticed Wilder's tone has changed a little bit in the past week where he's, instead of talking about, you know, I'm ready and it's up to them, it's very much like it will happen. We just need to work on it together. Um, so it's, it's a slight change in tone from him there around how he talks about the fight. And, and I think he realises he needs it. Like that Fury fight was huge for him because you know, he was he's a world champion, but not that well known globally and you know that fury fight has really put him on the map yeah so you, you reckon then John, that's more to do with the uh the fighters themselves actually now strip back all the the, the rubbish that's said by the promoters and um and all that but it, it is actually the fighters do actually want the fight um and it's just it just needs to happen I think Kay, when you, I actually thought exactly the same thing with the one you hear in Wilder talk now, um, and, and and Joshua and Eddie Hearn as well, and you know, we don't hear Al Heyman talk, but the general tone around the fight has changed. Where it was last year, it was very acrimonious, and you sent this email, we sent this email, you didn't sign this off, you still sign that off. Yeah. They're now sort of saying, 
we're, we're going to look at make fire. Everyone's in negotiations. Everyone's talking. So it sounds like things are actually happening behind the scenes. You've got to think that just uh, the general rule in boxing is it's by the money, isn't it? And the, the amount of money that'll be on the table for a Joshua Wilder two fight deal um, with I don't know the winner fighting Fury, however they work it. Mm. It's monstrous, really. It's just there is a lot of complications in terms of the TV deals. But then you say that, and then neither Joshua or Wilder, they're both kind of going fight to fight, aren't they? So they could make that mm. happen if they so wanted to. Um, you know, Wilder's. Okay. Wilder's okay. Lord, so, so, go on. so I was going to say, surely they can force the uh, force the hand, can't they? Yeah, no, I think but they're, they're more sensitive now. They, Yeah, I mean, they're both. Well, yeah, and, and, and Fury soon too we'll have, we'll, we'll have a space later this year they've not got anything signed although Lewis Ortiz did get in the ring afterwards the Wilder fight which I didn't love um, I think they look like they're trying to make a rematch for that which, which would be fine but it's not it's not the one you want mm. it has already happened uh, but yeah I think you want to see them two get in the ring um, yeah Wilder has certainly grown a lot but you still think he should be a bigger star really he's, you know, he's got a lot of charisma he's got absolute one bomb punching power. He, he's he's good fun to listen to in the interview, and he's he's, only, he's you know he's only drawn one fight. He's forty. It's hard to sort of. I don't I don't understand why he's not a bigger star in the states, really. But um, I think yeah, Joshua, you know he's, he's laid down the gauntlet for Joshua now. Joshua needs to go and announce himself in America, and then yeah, get on the mic afterwards and say let's let's do this, uh, Beyonce. Yeah, one thing I did like from Joshua uh, earlier in the week when he was speaking uh, before the fight, he said, Brazil, it took, took me seven rounds. I hope Wilder does it in nine. I can say, hey, I done it earlier. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've come back to bite him a little bit, haven't I? Didn't think what happened. <laughs> but um, believing in the heavyweight division, because we could talk all night about uh, what could and shouldn't perhaps won't happen, um, there were two other impressive uh, wins on the weekend. Um, Billy Joel Saunders and Josh Taylor. Any kind of thoughts on, on those two wins? I watched the Josh Taylor fight um, and I actually thought it was a performance of the weekend, really. Um, you know, I look at... The reason I watched it is because I was listening to a, a fellow... Uh, sorry, a rival sporting podcast earlier in the week and uh, <laughs> and they had uh, the now-retired St. George Groves on there and he was, he was saying about Josh Taylor and... and um, and his dedication to the sport, and um, I happened to see that it was on, so I was watching it, and I thought it was a really solid professional performance against a tough fighter who was, like, coming forwards, hadn't been beaten before. Yes, he was away from home, but, you know, he was he was solid, that guy, and um, I thought Taylor showed immense discipline, um, worked him nicely, and then, you know, put him down a couple of times, um, and probably could have finished him off, but, but for the, like, the, I guess the, toughness of this guy and and you look and he's only what 15 16 fights in and mm-hmm. you know he's, he's a world champion he's going into the final of the super series and you know i think I, I thought that was a really accomplished performance for somebody who's relatively early on in their professional career um and mm-hmm. he, he could the first time i ever saw him was when he knocked out um o'hara uh davis um mm-hmm. And I thought he looked good then, but I thought it was more Davis was wild. Um, but I, th- I really think he's, you know, he could be on the world scene, world title scene for a while now. Mm. Yeah, he's, um, he, he's special, just Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Echo from KB said he, he's got some serious ability. He's very highly rated. He's under Adam Booth, isn't he? He's a trainer who's, who's, who's carried some great fighters before, and he's definitely a sort of thinking man's trainer. Um, and yeah, but he just. Let's see if he can win the uh, the overall series now. It'll be a great boost for his name. But 
for serious ability. Um, just seems to be getting better and better. Uh, great to prove to her. Fine is uh, home home country, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, I think goes on to win the thing. And yeah, looks looks to have a. But we're sort of looking for new stars, aren't we? You know, we've lost the likes of Hay, Groves, De Gale. You know, those sort of all in quick succession. in quick succession. Um, yeah. It's the alpha some like Josh Taylor's coming in, sort of step to avoid really and turn himself into a bit of a star. Yeah, and I suppose that leads us nicely on to Bridget Saunders um, with his impressive win um, for the first time in a, in a while. And um, another big nod to uh, Ben Davison, the uh, the young trainer. Although I think yeah. him and Saunders are the same age, aren't they? They are, if he's not even a bit younger. But, um, I mean, he, that was, it was it was a well-matched fight, that one. I think that bloke was, made Billy Joe look very good, but... It, Billy Joe is very good to, to you know, you, you could see from very early on what was going to happen. The, the guy couldn't really hit Billy Joe very easily, and you know, he's nice to see he hasn't lost his ability to make people look miss and look silly. Yeah. And he's still snapping very handy combinations himself. Um, so I think it was a good fight, sort of getting back going and uh, see where he goes, really. And you know, he's he's got options both both weights, hasn't he? He wants to go back down to middleweight and. If a Canelo or Golovkin wants to fight him, which I don't think would be the most sensible move, there's the easier fights out there for him. Um, or he, I guess he probably looks at a Eubank next, doesn't he, in, in the super middles, but he maybe doesn't get Callum Smith immediately. Um, again, yeah, the only problem with Billy Joe is, is the risk reward. He, he doesn't, he brings a bit of, a decent size name, but not a massive one to get you a huge payday, and he, he carries a lot of risk, and he's a, a fucking good fire who can make you look silly at times. Yeah, I thought it was great to just to see him back. Like, I think he's, you know, he had a great win and then kind of went off the rails. And, um, you know, I got, I get the impression from things I've read. He, you know, he doesn't necessarily live the, the athlete's life when he's not in training. Um, and, you know, you just want to see like someone who's that talented back in the ring. Um, and I yeah. think I agree with, with what you both saying. I think he could really pose some problems when I was top level fighters, but I think he needs that now. I think he needs a top level fight because, um, you know, the people he's fought, you look like again on the weekend, you know, decent fighter causing a couple of problems here or there, but the result was never really in doubt with that. And I think it's been the case for a lot of his fights, like even the, the Lemieux fight where, you know, he's away from home, but again, quite a limited fighter when you, you know, lots of enthusiasm, but quite limited technically. And I, I'd love to see him now step up against, you know, one of the real, like, elite level fighters and just see, like, how far that that kind of talent and gift that he has can go. Um, I think he'd come short, personally, against, you know, I think he'd come up short against some of the, the Golovkins and, and the likes of that. But... Um, but I just want to see him in there now because, you know, he's got the ability. Um, it's just whether, you know, he can really mix it with the top level.
and Quinns were playing uh, Wasps. And John, how did all that work out in the end? Uh, well, we uh, predicted a uh, Northampton win away at Exeter, didn't we? Uh, didn't, didn't happen. Um, but I managed to uh, break for a point difference as uh, Harlequins couldn't quite... Uh, well, they, they missed a the penalty by about a metre as the uh, final whistle blew uh, against Wasps. So, Northampton have snuck through. The, the only caveat to our prediction, though, we did, we did say that uh, Bigger was a big part of uh, Northampton uh, going to Exeter and winning. And uh, they, were, they were doing really well. They were 14-7 up inside half an hour and then... Bigger had to go off because of a blood injury, and uh, by half time they were 20, well, they should have been 28, um, 14 down, but for Exeter, um, well, getting intercepted, uh, or, well, Saints getting intercepted, try right the uh, the last kick of the, uh, the first half. Um, so, yeah, we didn't get the prediction right, but, you know, the caveat was Bigger needed to be there, wasn't it? He certainly helped, and he's had a very good season for him. Um, but yeah, I think overall they, they looked to be a lightweight against Exeter from the bit. So I was sort of flicking between the two games and as it went on, you just the same old Exeter really just got the sort of power rubbed in and the, their structured game plan going and, and Northampton I don't think could live with it really. But Shane Dillon is still kicking me back next weekend, so he'll probably turn it all around. England's finest captain. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, heart, heart, heartbreak for Queens. I mean, they were, they were looking like they were doing very part of the second half, made a great comeback. Um, their prop fell inches from the line. He thought he's going to have a terrible moment for him because he, he knocked on just just with a try line at his mercy. But luckily they there was a, they got a penalty and they were scored from the uh, resulting line out. But then they had a penalty to win the game and it was it was yeah a, a good 50 metres um, and it just fell underneath the post. So um, yeah, that that would have been a tough one for them to take. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hard to, to look past another exit of Surrey's final, really, isn't it? <laughs> As we've been saying for most of the season. Um, hopefully Gloucester can cause Saris. I don't think uh, I don't think Northampton can be able to cause extra any issues. Uh, hopefully, I think Gloucester have been a very good side all year. If Pipperani can make some magic happen, uh, Saris are perhaps a slight come down from the Heineken Cup victory, but, but still, they're, they're very, very good, aren't they? And, uh, yeah, hard, hard to see past Saris extra. And when it is Saris extra to the, uh, to the final, you're, you're going to, aren't you? Yeah, off, off on a day out there. Um, yeah, start, start the day with a bit of premiership rugby, then uh, watch the mighty Spurs romp home in the Champions League final. And, uh, <laughs> finish off with a quick Josh Earth knockout. Yeah. Have a great starting day. Yeah, well, let's see what happens there. Um, just uh, to, any other thoughts on the, on the rugby, uh, Chris? I think um, in, the, in the Pro 14, um, Munster lost to um, Leinster. So it's a le- set up a Leinster-Glasgow final. Uh, any any thoughts on who's going to win that? Well, normally, you know, say Leinster, but Glasgow had a cracking win. Um, yeah. Quite surprising, really. Um, so, I don't know. I, I struggle a bit with the Pro 14 this season. I just, um, I think the quality levels are, have not been great and week in, week out. And I, I struggle to have much of an opinion, to be honest, on it. Um I think the only the strongest yeah. opinion I have on that league is just the dip in form and, and worrying signs for Scarlets and, and Pivak, who's obviously going to be the Wales coach next. Um, and, you know, they yeah. just missed out again on the weekend. So um, mm. I'd like Glasgow to win it, if I'm being honest. I think, you know, it was impre- really impressive performance on the weekend. It would be nice, you know, to kind of break a bit of uh, 
Irish dominance across most formats of uh, rugby union in the Northern Hemisphere. But on the point of the English Premiership, I mean, I was getting quite excited about a month ago when I thought Leicester could go down, but um, unfortunately that dream evaporated quite quickly, so I, I lost interest yeah, again. Yeah, yeah disappointed for us all, wasn't it? I disagree. Um, but, but just on the uh, points, I, mean, I think uh, I think Glasgow's not a chance against Leinster. You, you think Leinster had the sort of the devastation, I think, of, of losing to Saris and the game that they're really up for. They've they beat a monster, but I just, just I don't think their players look like they're in the best best of form. I don't think the Sexton's the World Player of the Year he was a couple of years back. Um, you just think Glasgow look like, you know, seriously posting an attack inside, putting 50 on Ulster in a semi. Um, yeah, if they can get a good start, he's in there. It's in their backyard for a change, isn't it? Um, the final. Yeah, you've got, you've got to remember, though, the amount of rest that the uh, Leinster boys get for the, all the Irish boys that the Leinster team get, this is probably their pre-season, isn't it, really? So they'll just be, uh, just be warming up. Um, yeah. getting ready for the uh, for the, the World Cup. Yeah, they won't play many games between now and then, but, but maybe that's uh, maybe that's part of the issue. They're kind of undercooked this year, the Irish. So they certainly were undercooked against us in the in the Six Nations, and then sort of carried on from there, really. So uh, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be. Uh, I don't think Glasgow uh, a bad bet for, for that game. Yeah, fair enough. Well, moving on from the rugby, uh, we've got a quick bit of cycling to cover. Uh, everyone's on the spot well into the cycling so I'm sure you're all aware but uh, we're on a rest day uh, at the moment having done the first nine stages and although uh, the race leader is uh, Conti who's an Italian uh, he's, he was part of the breakaway on stage nine that saw um, all the GC the uh, uh, what's the GC sample? General for classification um, contenders all the GC contenders are uh, kind of eased up a bit and there was a bit of a breakaway in Conti Italian riders kind of got the uh, the pink jersey and he's he's held it since I think they were, they won by sort of five minutes on, on Roglic who, who had the uh, the pink jersey at the time uh, but then there was a time trial uh, yesterday for, for stage nine which um, which was in horrendous conditions um, it was yeah there was much water coming up as it was coming down I think um, but, uh, but yeah Roglic uh, absolutely stormed that um well, I say, I say, uh, I'll clarify that. Roglic and uh, Campagnettes uh, absolutely stormed. The Campagnettes is the fellow who's just broken Bradley Wiggins' uh, hour record. Um, he went off first and he was doing really well and then he got a mechanical. I think his chain came off and he had to change bikes. Um, but, uh, but he was still way, way ahead of uh, most of the field. Um, so Roglic won, um, but 11 seconds later was Campagnettes and then Valka uh, Molomo was a, a minute behind and that was the top three. Uh, unfortunately for British hopes, uh, Simon Yates had a disastrous time trial. He's not known for his time trial in any way. Um, and he, uh, he was a good, I think he was about three or four minutes further down on uh, on um, on Roglic after that. So the standings is still Conti as, um, as a surprise kind of lead at this point uh, after his breakaway win. Um, but uh, ominously, Roglic is, uh, is only a minute or so behind him. Uh, in fact, it's one minute fifty, uh, and then the next kind of GC contender is probably Nibbly, who's uh, a further a couple of minutes back on that. And Simon Yates is is, uh, 
is three minutes thirty behind um, behind Roglic. So yeah, not not the greatest start to the uh, Giro from a British point of view, but uh, but you know that's a hit into the mountain stages and things get much more interesting, doesn't it, I do. The manager always where the fun happens. Uh, yeah, so you see a couple of the Movistar boys are in the top ten. Be interesting to see if they can band themselves together and make a bit of an effort. But yeah, Lander's in, isn't he? Didn't realise uh, Lander's gone. Yeah, and there's all, yeah, but he's, he's not in the top ten. They've got uh, Rojas and uh, Amador, and they do like to uh, break away, don't they, the Movistar boys, and then try and see if they can sort of get someone on to break away. But um, yeah, shame, shame about Yates really just uh, falling off like it seems he hasn't. He lost time in one of the early stages, hasn't he? And he hasn't really recovered that yet. Um, you thought this might be a year he could actually could, could win that, um, and yeah, not looking too likely. Uh, Nevalee's always dangerous in his home country, isn't he? It'd be interesting to see if he can cause any... Yeah, he loves to attack in the mountains and see if he... See how Roglic copes up there. Um, yeah. And yeah, hopefully... Yeah, hopefully we'll just get some... Some fun stages where no, no side particularly dominates. We see if Roglic's team can control the peloton as they go up the mountains. But yeah, all being well, they'll just uh, attack, it, attack the hell out of each other and some big time will be lost. All the, all the riders, really. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll follow that closely. Um, so just lastly then, as we've got uh, our Evertonian friend uh, Chris on as the regular this week, thought it'd be, uh, be rude not to talk about Everton uh, and their season. Chris, so eighth place finish, pleased with the season, not pleased. What, what are your thoughts? Um, pleased in comparison to last season. I mean, that was last season was an absolute disaster, um, and I think we've made I think we've made a step forward this season. I mean, eighth is. You know, you could argue it's, you know, we're stagnating a bit and not moving forwards. But I think as a club, we've just moved forward this season a bit, got the structure in place with brands and and silver um, and having to do a bit of a, I guess, repair job, really, from the kind of Walsh, Coman, Allardyce era where we bought really poorly. Um, I think we started off the season quite well, um, lost our way midway through and and kind of bad habits from the season before slipped in and we started to, you know, lose confidence and and, and not really, you know, want be brave with the ball. Um, but then you look at the end of the season and the de- uh, particularly the defence, you know, there was there's a lot of clean sheets in there. There were some good wins away from home. Um, so I think, you know, overall you're reasonably happy. Um, obviously, Evertonians are not necessarily known for their patience when it comes to building a team. So, um, you know, there's always going to be some dissenting voices. Um, but I think this summer's one like, you know, I'm, I'm quite optimistic, like going into next season. Um, and I think the club for the first time in a few years now is is kind of has the right structure to then be successful. Yeah, you, you had some big wins in the last um, sort of 10 games or so against Chelsea, Arsenal, um, United, United, uh, Sigerson and uh, McAllison showing what you know what they can do against uh, the big clubs and um, yeah, you look uh, look very impressive. Yeah, I think I think it's you know I think what Everton fans are craving is you know they do demand a style of play and I you know I think a few clubs like us who haven't really won much in the last few years kind of crave that as well. You know, see West Ham talk about it quite a lot, um, but I think. If, you know, if you think about the Everton teams over the past 15, 20 years, you know, it's that kind of 
we are craving that kind of grit and determination from the Moyes era, but probably the attacking flair from like Martinez's first season. Um, and trying to get somewhere near that. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be really hard over the next probably three to five years to get near the top five, really, because I think they're so far ahead. Um, and I think the squads are so far ahead that, you know, I think we need to probably be realistic and sixth place is probably the best we can aim for at the moment. Um, but I'd like to see us continue to clear out some of the dead wood and actually bring in, you know, a, a type of player who can fit the type of football that we want to play and not just sign in a player like we have done in the past few years because he's available. Um, yeah. so there's a big... Is that the worry, I guess? Is, is that the, you know, Mashiri's obviously spent some money buying the club. He's put money into different managers and probably still uh, into different players, sorry, under different managers and also is probably paying off managers and recruitment, you know, the likes of Steve Walsh as well. He's already invested a fair bit. Will he, will he keep going or do you think he might turn the tap off a bit and then a squad that certainly does need, you know, like you say, probably as much about getting Deadwood out as it is about bringing new players in, but a few new players could push you push you further towards it, couldn't it? Do you worry that you might fall back on them? I don't know what the word is on Merseyside about whether we will carry on spending or whether it's going to be a bit more of a frugal summer and you've got to get rid of players first. To I think, in. yeah, I think the, um, I think from, uh, you know, the word that he's, has come out is that he is going to be a lot stricter around spending and probably conduct a lot more due diligence around players that we're signing um and we probably will have to sell some players before we can buy um and i think that's going to be a difficulty when you look at some of the players i feel like we should offload like snydlin even though he started to improve towards the end of the season um tozen uh mccarthy nias Probably time for Jagielka to move on. Um, I'd like to see us move on Walcott as well. Um, I think, you know, yeah. these aren't the easiest players to shift. You know, they're on big money. They're yeah. a lot of them are getting to you know the wrong side of their twenties or early or early to mid or late thirties in Jag's case. Um, but I think it's going to be really tough. But I do think now that he's brought Brands in as like director of football and it's you know there's a blueprint there there's kind of a there's a methodology around the signings whereas you got the feeling when Walsh was there that it was very much you know we signed like four number 10s in like the summer and we had like no pace in the team and you know poor old Davy Clarkson like I don't think his career's ever really recovered from joining us um so there seems to be a lot more thought and an actual process into our signings now. And I think Mashiri will spend, but I think he wants to actually, you know, he said he wants to see some return on his investment now. And um, I think when we had like our AGM, you know, we were 11th and he's like spent 200 plus million and we're 11th. Like it's not good enough. Um, so I like it's big season for Silver coming up as well because he's just lost his assistant manager. So um, he's going to need to replace him and... Um, I quite like him as a manager. I, I think he tendencies to be a bit stubborn, um, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, hopefully he can kick on as well because um, you know you can't say he hasn't had backing. Like you know, whether we get some of those loan signings on a perm it, it remains to be seen. But you know, there's there's been some investment even for him. Do you think he'd not be one that you'd be able to tie up, or is that not looking likely? 
I don't think it's likely. I, I, I mean, I'd love to get him. I think he's um, he's a class above anything we've had in centre midfield for a few yeah. years now, um, probably going back to Arteta. Um, yeah. And I just think he, you can just see him having a preference of going somewhere like Spurs or United yeah. or, you know, those clubs who have seen him play in the Premier League for a season. It's less of a risk now for them. Um, yeah. You know, Spurs can offer London life, brand new stadium, Champions League final squad, hopefully Champions League winning squad. Um, and I just, yeah, I can just see him going that way. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he was, when I saw him uh, ever since so Liverpool early in the season, Gomez was a, a couple, probably what both sides have in the midfield at the time. Uh, he's, he's the ability to retain the ball, his side for pass, uh, he just looked like a real safe pair of hands. Um, so you, if somebody said he's from the Barca Academy, you're going, ah, oh, yeah, I can see it now. But um, yeah, he'd, he'd definitely be a player that you'd be worth keeping hold of. Yeah, definitely. And um, same goes with Zuma, really. I think the Chelsea transfer ban might put any put a halt to any permanent transfer talk. But um, you know, he went from being on the bench at the beginning to you know being a big big part of that centre-back partnership with Keane that's um, kept so many clean sheets and you know I think he would be a great asset for us and particularly if we lose Jagielka um, but I'm just not convinced we'll get either of them so we may need to look elsewhere. I well, see so you've been linked with uh, Mitrovic in uh, recent days would you like that uh, crazy young Serbian from, uh, from Fulham? I mean I would and I wouldn't like I think he has the potential to be a liability, but that that kind of, I guess, temper or like aggression is, is something I think we've lacked um, over the past few seasons and, and probably since Moyes left, to be honest, as, as a manager. We didn't, you know, we had a few of that type of character in the team when he was there, but um, it depends on the price, really. I mean, 11 goals in a season with a Fulham team that was, you know, pretty horrific for most of the season is quite a good return um but then i did read that he'd had like 180 shots or something so um he'd have, um, he'd have big dunkers in the background to, uh, to do a bit of coaching with him i think big dunk would love to get hold of him somebody like Mitrovic or like a yeah probably i think he'd have a positive influence i actually think as well like you know if you look at like dinier putting in crosses to him um bernard putting in crosses you know it's probably suit mitrovic's style of play you know it's just Big lad wants to rough up the centre backs. Um, I think his style of play would, would probably, you know, help someone like Ricarlison as well, bring him into the game yeah. more. Um, but you know, it's not—I don't know—it's—it's it's not the sexy signing you kind of crave, is it? It's probably like he'll do a job. We probably we've got to take him getting probably two to three red cards a season. Um, I, but like, like I said earlier, it's, it's about like, the joint of thinking, isn't it? If there's a, if there's a kind of clear plan why you're bringing in somebody like Mitrovic then you know fans are, are more likely to to be on board with it rather than just demanding like your Sigerson was a sexy signing wasn't it at the time and uh, I suppose Theo to an extent and um, yeah like I said yeah. rather than just throwing money willy nilly the only thing I think if he had a bit more pace I'd be quite you know enthusiastic about it but he is he's very slow and I've I just carried the scars from our team in the past few years where we just had no pace. And we literally, I, we only signed Theo Walcott because he was quick. I'm, I'm adamant yeah. of that because we just had no pace in the team and we needed to get pace into it. Um, yeah, 
just a lack of pace concerns me a bit with with him. But you know, like I said, if there's a system in place and they've obviously profiled him, then um, has Premier League experience, so he could do a job. Um, I'd probably just want to see another centre forward arrive as well. Just, uh, just pick on something, up on something you said. She said um, you said the top five was probably unattainable, and then the, so I assume you think United is the is, is an attainable team to to get to for next season. Then I mean, well, if they... we, we had a, so I was just say, when we had a discussion on a part a couple of weeks ago about Wolves and whether they were post United and whether that was going to be um, a bit of a battle between those two clubs next season, do you, do you kind of see yourself? Able to get um, up with United or completely United or, or yeah, what, what's your thoughts? I mean, I think we need to go up a, a gear or two to match them on a consistent basis over the course of the season. But you know, I see big problems for that United squad. It's a rebuild there. You know, he's going to have to like us. He's going to have to get rid of a fair few players on big wages. Um, that's not going to be easy. And you know, their form dipped dramatically after. Ollie signed the, the contract so um, you just I, there's something a bit rotten about that United core and I just think that you know we could potentially compete with them if we added a few more players I you know I'd even throw maybe Arsenal into that category as well where I think you know they have improved but at the same time you know you saw towards the end of the season how fragile they are and like you can't you go through so many seasons where those bad habits slip in and, you know, Arsenal fall off the pace and lose a few games and become soft. Like those, those kind of mental scars are still there for that Arsenal team and they're still there for, for that United team. And I think, yeah, we could compete with them. Um, as for the rest, I think we're, we're a mile off being able to compete consistently. Um, you know, we did obviously uh, prevent Liverpool from winning the title with that uh <laughs> Very credible draw at Goodison, um, but uh, yeah, they they're a league above at the moment. Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I don't remind you that we finished uh, 43 points ahead of you, but uh, but no, you're right. That that nil nil did. You want? Well, in the in looking back, it's covered us both. You did win the same amount of league titles this season as us, though. True, true. I mean, we, we we may win more Champions League titles than you this season, though. Yeah, fair, fair um, enough. Um, yeah, so, so go on then. So if you have to, have to put all your mortgage on where you're going to finish next season, give us, a, give us a number. Where's your, where's your fancy Everton to finish? I'm going to say sixth. I think we'll kick on. I think we'll, like, we have the potential. We have caused a shock before, you know, when we finished above, above Liverpool, actually. Um, and... You know, we have the potential to do that. I just think it really depends on who we're able to bring in. And, um, you know, we showed on a one, you know, a one game basis against United where we absolutely played them off the park and beat them 4-0 that, you know, we can compete against these teams. It's just about doing it consistently. And you know, it's a big summer for United as well. And if they don't get, they don't sort the balance of that squad out, then I, th- I think they're in big trouble. So, yeah, why not? Sip. Thank you for having me.